everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for tapping in. We have a very, very special guest tonight. I've been looking forward to this episode for weeks. So as you know, Behind the Hustle is always about how to create wealth for yourself, for your family. And so tonight's topic is just going to really answer a lot of questions that many of you have had for a while. And so before we begin, please like this video, like this video, um, definitely share it with friends, family, whoever needs to hear it. This is going to be a very, very important episode that can change the narrative for you and your family. Okay. So for all those who don't know, we meet every Thursday, 9.30 PM EST. And I'm so excited for you all to be here. I just ask for you to hold your questions until the end, because when we're about to end, I'm going to answer, or I should say my special guest is going to answer some of the questions. We probably can't get to all of them. Um, but definitely, please, please think of great questions to ask. This is going to be a dynamic episode, and I cannot wait to share our guests with you. Really quick, just so you know, we do have a group called uh, Generational Millionaires. If you're interested in being a part of that group, go to Franchise Now. I'm going to put it in the chat right now. Franchise Now. Please.com. And you will be able to receive a very, very special gift for joining tonight. Okay. We also have a new chat GPT chat that actually will help you create a million dollar business plan. If, of course, when you do this work, when you go through the chat, it's not going to be instant. There's a lot of hard work that has to go to it, into it. It takes years to build a strong, strong platform. But this new chat GPT. Uh, partnership that we have, you can actually prompt it and it'll spit out information that you really need to build a strong business. Okay. So join the group and you'll be able to have access to all of that. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest, Jerry Taylor. He is phenomenal. His Instagram page is phenomenal. I've learned so much from just seeing his clips. So can you please give a virtual round of applause for Jerry Taylor? <laughs> what does that look like, right? What does a virtual round of applause look like? <laughs> but yes, Jerry, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, great. It's great, great, great. So why don't you tell us like a little bit about yourself? And for those who don't know, we're talking about trust funds and how they're not just for the elite and how you can build your family legacy today. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this? Okay. Um, well, I've, you know, I've been practicing law a very long time, probably over 30 years. <laughs> That's close enough. Wow. Um, I was a trial lawyer for a good bit of that time. I tried uh, all kinds of cases. The last 10 years of my, of, uh, that era of my practice, I was a pharmaceutical trial lawyer all over the country. And I decided that, uh, I was tired of traveling. So I, um, as a part of what I had done throughout my career, I've opened the States on behalf of people who, you know, have died for one reason or the other. And I represent their family. 
So I've opened the states and I think every single state in the country now. And as a result of that, I learned a lot about estates uh, and I just really got interested in it. So about 10 years ago, I really decided to just focus solely on estates and trusts and all the things that go into that. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. About a year and a half ago, I got just on a whim, um, started putting videos up on TikTok and in about two weeks, those started going crazy. And then I went on to Facebook and Instagram. And um, so it's been, I was very surprised at how many people were interested in, you know, this, this old dude talking about uh, death law. Um, but they're out there. People, people want to hear about it. So I, I keep give, giving it to them every night. Listen, your social media and please follow him, Jerry. What's the handle? The exact handle? Well, on um, it's Jerry Taylor Law in some form or fashion on just about all the platforms. Yeah, I love it because it's so like simple, but it's so engaging. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's really great. It's really great. Okay, so can you tell us what is a trust? So a trust, let, let me back up a little bit. Um, when you start thinking about planning, for how the things you've gathered in life, the assets, the money, everything that you put together in life, when you start planning for how that's going to be transferred, conveyed, passed on, you know, when you're no longer on the planet, uh, you've essentially got three choices to make. The first is choices to do nothing. And that's what most people do. They don't do anything. Two thirds of the people in, you know, out there in the population never do anything to plan for what happens when they die. Um, second choice would be choosing a will. That's what most people do. They choose, you know, they, they write a will for themselves. And a will is fine. It's going to get your, you know, your things, your assets split up and distributed the way you want to. But if you have a will, it's going to have to go through the probate court process. I don't care what state you're in. It's going to have to go through probate court. Many people think that if you have a will, then that just means that your assets automatically transfer to the people that you, you know, you laid out in your will. But that's not true. You've got to go to court. If you want to avoid court, the time that it takes, the expense, the lack of privacy, then the third choice is a trust. And these days, the primary reason that people decide to create a trust is to avoid probate court. And, you know, the things that go along with probate court. So a trust avoids probate. Now, there's two kinds of trust. Yeah. Whatever trust you've ever heard of, it's either a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust or irrevocable, just depending on how you say that word. Um, a revocable trust, the primary purpose, again, is to get around probate. So your family, your kids, if those are your beneficiaries, so your kids don't have to go through probate when you die. It used to be uh, that taxes were a big part of why you would choose to create a trust. But now, as of today, the federal estate tax exemption number is about $13 million per person. So if you're a couple... 
unless you have an estate over $26 million, you're not going to be paying any federal estate tax at your death. And if you're a single person, over 13 million. Now, there are states that have um, taxes that apply at death, you know, for lower amounts, 3 million, 1 million. There's not a ton of estates that have those anymore, but some still do. But that's not a big reason for creating a trust anymore. It's primarily to avoid probate. That's a revocable trust. And revocable just means that you can do away with it. You can change it. You can amend it. Anything you want to with it during your life. The other kind of trust is an irrevocable trust. And the reason you would create one of those is to primarily get some kind of protection for the asset that is in the trust, money or property, whatever it is you have in the trust. A lot of people put um, homes in an irrevocable trust so that once it's been there five years, they'll get protection from Medicaid recovery if they need Medicaid long-term care benefits at some point in the future. Uh, the if if somebody is in a profession that gets sued quite often, like a you know some kind of a physician or a contractor or whatever uh, career you're in, if you get sued uh, fairly regularly, then you might want to put your assets in a trust to protect them so that nobody can get to your personal assets. Um, and the way you the best way to do that is to create. You can do this. Um, through a domestic asset protection trust, which is a type of trust. You can cut me off at any time. This is no, a long People process. are already like, wow. Let's see. Keep okay. going. Keep going. Um, so protection for lawsuits, creditors, bankruptcies. You either do it through a domestic asset protection trust or an offshore protection trust. So many gems. You're just dropping a lot of, what's, what's the difference? <laughs> So a domestic asset protection trust is created in a state that has passed laws that provide for that type of a trust. Not all states have this. There's about 20 or so states now, I think, that have passed laws that provide for these. And essentially what it is, it means that you can put your assets into an irrevocable trust. You've totally disassociated yourself from that asset. The trust owns it. You don't own it anymore. And by virtue of that, that creates the protection from liability for the asset that is in that trust. In the states that have allowed laws for domestic asset protection trust, those laws say not only can you put your asset in that type of trust and get protection from it, but you can also still access that asset. You can get money from that trust. And unless it's, one of those states, every other state that, that doesn't have that law, you can create that trust, but you can't access that trust. So anything you put in there, you can no longer have, uh, you, you can't use the money in there to live on, um, which is a big deal, you know. So um, in these states, and most of them are out west, we're talking about Nevada, Wyoming, South Dakota, Alaska, uh, Delaware also. And those are some of the primary ones. Right. You create this trust, you put your assets into it and but you can still get money from those assets. Now, 
there are some legal um, downsides to creating that type of a asset protection trust, a domestic asset protection trust. And the reason there are is because even though you've put it in a state that has laws that favor that type of situation, it's still a it's still all subject to American courts, to an order from any American court. Got you. So if a court in some other state says, well, you need to, you know, uh, get your money out of that trust to pay this judgment that we have against you here in this state. Potentially, they could they could make that happen or they could put you in jail if you don't do it. Um, now, that doesn't happen often, but it has happened. Uh, so in, and a lot of people love these trusts. In my opinion, they're not as good as offshore protection trusts. The reason that offshore protection trusts are better is because they are no longer in the United States. So like the three top places, in my opinion, to create an offshore protection trust would be. Guys, Guys, take out your notebooks and write this. (laughs) (laughs) He is he is like, take out your notebooks. Okay, go ahead. The three places. So, yeah, offshore trust. Um, the three best places, to my mind, to create th- those types of trust are either in Nevis. Uh, that's an island in the Bahamas. Uh, Belize. Most people know or, you know about Belize. And the very best place in the, on the whole planet is the Cook Islands, which is, you know, a grouping of islands in the South Pacific that is, uh, you know, really kind of like a New Zealand territory. But back in the 80s, I think it was, they, you know, passed laws to allow these trusts to be created. And the law they've passed since then has been very, very beneficial towards people who want to put their assets in this trust in the Cook Islands. So for somebody to go, you know, to get your money out of a Cook Islands trust, they actually have to file a lawsuit in the Cook Islands. They have to go to the Cook Islands. Somebody has to show up down there and pursue that lawsuit. Um, Plus there's, you know, certain amounts of money, you know, bonds you have to pay and things like that. It's very, very difficult. And that's really the gold standard of offshore trust protection because they have their own law. They're not subject to American courts. So when an order of a court here in the United States has no relevance to anybody in the Cook Islands. You just changed um, my life. Yeah. And, you know, the classic way of setting up something like that is you create that trust in the Cook Islands, but you look for a really good place to put your money if you're going to put money in there. So you might create a bank account in a, at a Swiss bank, put your money in there, and then put that bank account in the Cook Islands trust. Um, when why, you've done that. Why is Swiss <laughs> I'm just like, you're like, okay, why a Swiss bank? Because it's the most um, secure, solid banking system in the world, even more so than U.S. banks. Wow. Um, Now, none of this is done for the purpose of avoiding taxes. No. Anybody that has that idea is totally wrong. You're not going to avoid taxes. Yep. Um, and I feel like I feel like that's the biggest misconception. Everyone's trying to avoid taxes. It's like you're gonna have to pay. 
right? Yep. You're going to have to pay. Um, even if you put your money in the Cook Islands Trust, you're still going to have to pay taxes on income. Yes. Um, so that's a huge misconception. What you're, the reason you're doing it is to get protection from liability. That's why you're doing it. Okay. So Jerry, many of the viewers are, you know, first time business owners in their families, um, sure. first business that they've created. And what I see on Instagram is like people look, I'm a honeypot LLC. Look, I just filed my LLC. Look, everyone, this is my LLC name. Um, this is my address. My uh, business is really registered. Well, my, my home address is attached to my business LLC filing. Oh, and here's my personal email address. So when people start businesses, so many people are just like, they have no idea about separating their personal life from their, you know, business asset, which is their LLC. Like, so how soon in one's entrepreneurial career should you start to think about trusts? You know, if you've got, um, and it's really two different uh, equations, business and personal, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, aside from any LLC or business you created, I tell people, if you own a home, you at least need to think about creating a trust because you want to make sure for a lot of people, probably most people, their home is their most valuable asset. So you want to make sure that asset gets conveyed to your beneficiaries in the smoothest, um, most economical way possible. And the way to do that is through a trust. Hands down, that's just the way it is. Now, if you've got an LLC, you're trying to create a business. You know, it's it's you know it's kind of something that develops in layers. Um, you know, the first thing you do is to go out and uh, create this LLC because that LLC limits the lot. Let, let's say somebody sued. You know, you create this business and then somebody sues the LLC. That LLC limits them to only the assets that are within the LLC that are owned by the LLC. They're the only assets that they could get to. So the LLC insulates your personal assets from your business assets. Now, in addition to that LLC, you're going to want to get insurance on your company. And that insurance is, you know, the next level of asset protection. And you need, you know, you, yeah. Insurance. Yeah. Say that again. What type of insurance? Just, you know, I mean, basic liability protection. Um, let, me, let me say this, right? Because people like what you said is right, right? Obviously, like, so if someone is going after your LLC, it's limited um, by that. But what some people do, and first of all, I didn't know that this was a thing until I started doing business for a few years. In the United States of America, anyone can sue you, even if yeah. you didn't do anything, even if sure. you're not going to do anything. Not only that, they can mention your LLC in the lawsuit and your name, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And your name. So if you are found guilty for any reason, for anything that they're um, coming after you for, and your name is attached to the lawsuit, now, does that hold your personal assets? 
um, as a you know liability as well? Well, it, if they're suing you for something that's related to operation of the business, then they can sue you individually, but that case is going to get dismissed. If it's yeah. truly something that arises out of the operation of the business and not something that arose out of your personal actions, yeah. you know, that were totally separate from the business uh, yeah. operations, that, that case is going to get dismissed. But like you said, anybody can sue anybody for anything. It doesn't like, matter what it is. I'm like sweating and excited through yeah. this podcast. <laughs> this yeah. podcast show is like so important and one of the things that we talk about is wealth creation so i want to talk about that uh for a minute and you mentioned it like if you have a most people's home is their biggest asset now within a trust is it true that if you have a home you could write in there that this home has to get passed down from generation to generation and you can't sell it is that true you can do that uh, and some people have, you know, some people I work with do that occasionally. Um, and there, there are ways of doing that. Um, you know, I don't always agree with people who want to do with, do that, but some people, that's what they want to do that. They, they just don't want to sell the property. Um, but, you know, it, it basically it would flow from your trust at your death into an irrevocable trust managed by a trustee could be a third party trustee, like a bank or a trust company, but your kids could still have use of the home during their lifetime. And then at their lifetime, um, when they die, the trust could provide that it goes to their descendants, if any, and it could go, you know, go to their descendants and another irrevocable trust. Um, there are ways to do that. If somebody really wants to do that, there are ways to do it. And so as far as securing our children's future, like I feel like I'm a, I'm an old millennial, right? So, um, my generation is very much like hustle mentality, you know, building wealth. Um, but many people have left out the aspect of the trust. And so for me, I feel like people are building wealth for themselves, but what about their children? What about their mm -hmm. children's children? And I feel yeah. like that is the missing piece to, to really building generational wealth. So when I think about trust, I think about how can I pass these assets to my children, even if they don't want it? Because if you see people who have homes, um, a lot of, as you know, like a lot of times the kids wind up selling it because the mortgage is paid off. Maybe they just have to pay the taxes, but they don't see the value in holding on to the property. So they let it go. So it's right. like you, you work so hard for this and now your kids sell it. They don't. So I'm going to force you to see the value. So would you say that this is the best approach to really bridging wealth into your children's 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 lives? Like putting uh, assets in the trust? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and the way you do it is, you start out with a, well, there's several ways to do it. And it really depends on the size of your estate. It can get super, super complicated. You know, if you've got a $50 million estate, uh, but let's just say it's a normal size estate of somebody who has done well, a few million dollars. You want to pass that on to your kids 
you create a revocable trust. You put all your assets into it. You retitle assets, put them in the trust. And then you provide in that trust that at your death, those assets, let's say you got two kids. So you want to split up those assets 50-50 to each child. Then you put provisions in there that would create at your death two irrevocable trust, one for each child. 50% goes in one, 50% goes in the other. And then that money is distributed according to some kind of a plan that you create. And literally you can come up with any plan that, you know, that could be conceived. It's I've had, you know, everything for a very common way to do it is to say, okay, I'll give this child a third of their share at my death. And then five years later, we'll give them another third. And then five years after that, the rest of, uh, the amount that is in the trust, then they've got all of it. Or you can say, you know, I've also had it uh, where people are concerned about the fact maybe they've got a child that, um, you know, just runs through every single dollar they get immediately spend it. So they'll say, well, I want this kid to get basically a monthly paycheck every, um, every month for 20 years. Yeah. So they will get one twelfth of one twentieth of, of their share every month. Wow. And they'll never be able to blow more than that amount every 30 days. Uh, but it could be anything in between. Um, or, you know, if it's a huge amount of money, then you start looking at things like generation skipping trusts. And whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Yeah, th this, this gets a little more complicated, but the reason you would do this is for tax purposes where you essentially, you know, your kids, once you set this up, your kids would get the income from this trust, but it would, the money, the actual principal in the trust would not come out of the trust until it reaches the grandkids. And by doing that, you avoid, you avoid a whole lot of tax. And now you're planning for your, your grandchildren, not just yourself. Mm -hmm. Not just yourself, people. Stop going yes. to the mall, spending all your money. Yes. Listen, okay. That's a generational skipping trust? Generational, a generation skipping trust, yes. If you know someone who, you know, is a trust fund baby, um, chances are they're, there's a good chance that the people that had the real money were their grandparents or maybe, you know, the parents of their grandparents. And, you know, that's been passed down to them. Jerry, generation I've, skipping trust. I've always dreamed of being a trust fund baby and what it would be like. <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't think it's going to happen, though. <laughs> right. So can we just all call ourselves trust fund babies for everyone who's watching this? Now we can say we are because we have the knowledge. Um, but there's a negative, um, you know, like when people say, oh, he's a trust fund baby. She's a trust fund baby. People laugh. <laughs> oh, they're spoiled. It's like, no, someone in their family actually planned. Yeah, it's planning that could have gone back 100 years. Um and it's people who wanted to, you know, 
They didn't want all their money spent by one generation. They wanted oh, it to extend goodness. beyond because, that. Because if your kids spend all the money, <laughs> there's nothing left for your grandkids. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah, yeah, I said, please answer my question. So we are going to have a small question and answer. I can't even think right now. My mind is like, we're going to have a small Q&A, but I do want to ask her or answer her question. She said, how does this work for the grands if they are underage and you don't have responsible adults to handle the trust? That's basically what you said, right? It skips your kids and kind of goes to the grand. Yeah. So what you would do is you would provide that a third party trustee would be the one managing the money. Like most every big bank out there has a trust department and they've got people who act as trustees. This is what they do. I mean, anybody who says that they're, you know, they, you ask them what they do. I, I you know, I do, I, I'm a trustee at a, at a bank. Well, this is exactly what they do. This guy. Oh stuff. my God. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. That's what trustees do at the yep. bank. Mm -hmm. What do they do? Can you say that again? They manage trusts for other people, you know? So when a trust like this is created, there's generally provisions put in the trust that say, you know, that if you have emergencies or really critical needs in life that you can go to the trustee and request money for this or that. Let's say you got a health emergency or, you know, uh, you're homeless. You need some place to live. Um, and it could be, and there's, there's a standard called the HIM standard. that's health education, maintenance, and support. So you have to meet the terms of that standard. You go to the trustee and say, this is what's going on. You basically have to plead your case to this trustee. Mm -hmm. And then they will generally take it to a board within the bank or the trust company, you know, a board of people, that listen to those types of requests and make a decision on whether or not they fit within the standard that has been laid out in the trust. If it does, then they'll, um, you know, make the distribution. If it doesn't, they'll withhold the distribution. But if you've got a minor uh, in a situation like that, yeah, I mean, a, a third party trustee would be the way to go to, to uh, manage the money. Okay. Let me, I have a few more questions. So let me ask you this. I'm not sure if you know what percent of Americans just let's say have trust. Like oh shoot, it's probably maybe well, it's probably three or four percent somewhere in that range. Not a lot. Out of you know, yeah, um, I mean anybody, any family, any person that has significant money, they've got a trust of some kind. I guarantee you. Um, but in the last 20 years, the benefits of a trust in terms of avoiding probate for your family are becoming more and more well known. And, you know, I mean, probably of the people that I see, maybe 10% have estates over $10 million. The rest of them are people that, um, you know, with lesser estates and, you know, there's plenty with estates of less than a million dollars and they still create a trust. Um, you know, like I said, if you own a home, then you need to think about how that home is going to be conveyed to your kids and what they're going to have to go through to get it. Because typically, you know, typically 
when a couple owns a home, they own it jointly. Yeah. The deed, yeah. the deed, you know, both of their names are on the deed in some form or fashion. It varies from state to state. Yes. So when the first of the couple, when the first person of the couple passes away, then yes. the survivor owns the home outright. But the question is, what happens then with that home when the survivor passes away because the home is in one name? And the only name you can, only way you can get that home conveyed to somebody when it's owned by one name is either to go through probate or with a trust which avoids probate. So all happens in private. So it's like, yeah, if my, if my mate passes, then it goes to this person, this person, that person. Okay. So, okay. Can you just explain for those who don't know what probate is and why you want to avoid that process? Why is it, and why do people want to avoid probate? Well, probate is just, you know, it's the court process that every will, or even if you don't have to have a will, your estate will still have to go through probate. Let's say you don't have a will. Yeah. And you die with assets that are in one name alone. So it's yeah. the second person in a couple, or if yeah. it was a single person, you know, they die, they've got all their assets in one name alone. Well, those assets don't automatically convey to the kids. Yeah. If they don't have a will, then they have to go to probate court and open a file. The process is at that point is called intestate succession. And that's what happens when somebody dies without a will. It has to go through the intestate succession process. Sounds painful. Yeah, it's basically, you know, the same kind of a process as if you die with a will. But the difference is if you don't have a will, then the state determines how your assets will be split ultimately. In most states, if there's a surviving spouse and kids, it'll be split in some form or fashion between the surviving cat spouse and the kids, which is not really what most couples want. They want everything going to the surviving spouse. Yeah. And then that surviving spouse's death goes to the kids. Right. So if you don't have a will, you need to think about that because that's what's going to happen. Um, if you have a will, you still have to go through probate. And the reason and probate is easier in some states than others. Probate in some states is not a huge deal. Um, probate in other states, you know, here in Alabama, California, um, and I go through the whole list. New, York, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probate is a probate is a hassle. And like I said, there's three reasons why you want to avoid probate. The time factor uh, here in Alabama, it cannot take place in any less than six months. The estate has to be open for six months in probate. Beyond that, it's a question of how backed up the court is and how hard your probate lawyer works. Mm. Here in Alabama, it's going to take nine months. If you get out in less than nine months, you'd be lucky. Typically nine months to a year. And if there's any kind of a complication, it could take a year and a half or more. Wow. And, and then it's like you're already grieving. So, you know, your kids are grieving over your death. It's like you don't want to have to have them go through something. That's just, yeah. gonna, you know. Right. Um. 
So that's the time factor. The money factor is it's going to cost all in to get through probate. AARP did a study that said the average cost of getting through probate were three to eight percent of the value of the assets that are going through the process. So let's say you've got a you know a five hundred thousand dollar estate that's going through probate. Um, and I tell people 5% just because that's a ballpark mid-range number. So let's say 5%. That's $25,000 all in to get through probate. If it's a million-dollar estate, that's $50,000. Um, you know, to create a trust, uh, you know, for a basic trust package that's a comprehensive package, I charge $5,000 to do it. Other lawyers will do it for a lot less. Some other lawyers will do it for more. Uh, but it's a lot less than you're going to spend going through probate. Now, the difference is, you know, going through probate, that money is just going to come off the top of your estate before right. it makes it to the kids. So right. it's no, the pain point is different. You know, I mean, there, it's not money out of the pocket and the money to create a trust comes out of the pocket to pay me. Right. And that's, the, that's the primary reason why most people choose, if they have the choice, they choose they would choose a will rather than a trust. Anybody that says, I don't want to do a trust, they do it because of the cost. Right. So Yaya said, so you need a will and a trust because people only speak about wills. Oh, I have a will. I have a will. It's in my, you know, glove compartment. It's in my drawer. But how powerful is a will by itself with no trust? Well, if you have a trust, you do also need a will, but a will that you have that goes with a trust serves a different function than a normal will. The will that's with a trust is called a pour over will. And the primary function of that will, because you don't want to, you don't want to ever have to probate that will, right? Because you've got this trust and you're trying to get around probate. But the function of that will is, let's say you leave something out of your estate, like you leave something out of your trust. So you've got all your assets in the trust, your property, real property, your bank accounts, you know, um, retirement accounts. They're set up so that they all are going to make it to the trust. But you've let's say you bought a piece of property late in life and you bought it in your own individual name. Mm -hmm. And then you die before you can get that piece of property into the trust. So there's one piece of property hanging out there that's not in your trust that would otherwise have to go through full-blown probate. But for the fact that you've got a pour over will and the pour over will has provisions in it that would allow somebody like me to go to probate court and in a fairly short proceeding, get that asset poured into the trust rather than having to go through full-blown probate. Pour exactly. it in. Pour yeah, it in. Exactly. Um, so, so that's why you need a will, even if you have a trust. Listen, you guys are talking. I'm looking at the comments. Listen, right. So if your kids, you know, kids sometimes, for lack of better words, piss you off a little bit. Think about your grandkids, okay? Yeah. <laughs> think about those grandkids because so often we we just think about ourselves, and it's not. I always tell people I'm not doing all of this for myself. It's for my kids, 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 because it's very hard to start in life with nothing. I right. did it 
many of us have. And right now, the greatest wealth transfer is happening right now. Right, Jerry? No doubt. It's lasting for 25 years, right? Is that true? Yep. So, Definitely. so that means we can still be a part of it, right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Even if we aren't trust fund babies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's it, it's the easiest way to transfer whatever wealth you have and the most economical. So what if someone doesn't own a home, but they have a business that's uh, making 100000 a year? So if you've got a business, you got an LLC, you've got insurance on the business, um, somebody that comes to me in that situation, what I would do is I'd create a trust and then... I would assign ASSIGN, I would assign their LLC to their trust. So I don't actually put their LLC in the trust. I don't change anything about the title of the LLC, the name. I don't change it. There's really, as far as the world is concerned, there's nothing that's changed about, changed about the LLC. It's just that at your death, then that assignment will be used to transfer all the interest you had in that LLC into your trust and then onto your beneficiaries. So it really doesn't come to bear until somebody dies during life. There's no change whatsoever, but you've got an, you have assigned that LLC to your trust. And at your death, if you still got that LLC, right. And you run it through, it will run through the revocable trust. Now, if you've got, Let's say you've got an LLC that's become very successful and you want that LLC to continue beyond your death. You know, you want a, uh, one of your children maybe to, to step in and handle the LLC or something like that. Then it might be a good idea to think about doing a business succession agreement, which just lays out everything that's going to happen with that business at your death in terms of the LLC. Who's going to handle that? what? What is that what? called? What is it called again? Business succession agreement. Write it down, guys. Mm -hmm. And um, so then you wouldn't um, you wouldn't run that LLC through your trust. The LLC would continue, but it would continue according to the terms of the succession agreement that you created. Because if you pass right now, you have this business. What is the plan? What plan have you? What's, what happens if you pass away, you don't have a succession plan, you don't have a trust, you don't have a will? What happens to your business? Mind, say you have five kids, you are doing great, your business is make, starting to make money. What happens to the business if you have no plan and you pass away? Yeah, so if you have no will, no trust, that it's all going to have to go through probate court and intestate succession. And so the and then the LLC, you know, whatever interest you had in that LLC, whether it was 100 percent or 50 percent or whatever it was, that interest is going to get split up according to the state law. Through the process of intestate succession. If you've got a will where you, you know, you, you're giving all, all your assets to somebody else at your death, the same thing. The LLC is going to have to go through probate. Okay, and running an LLC through probate is not a good idea because, you know, um, everything is locked down basically while it's in probate. 
it's going to be hard to operate the business if you're running an LLC through the probate process. Because who is going to pay the bills to keep it yeah. going? Yeah, exactly. Listen, I have one last big uh, bomb gym that I would like to ask. <laughs> Jerry, yes. I had an epiphany. Okay, before we go there, please like Jerry Taylor Law on all social media platforms. Literally, you'll wake up and you'll get informed about something new every single day. I love it. Please follow me on Instagram, K-I-K-A-I-M, Kika I-M. And like and share this video because there's no stingy energy. We have to help each other, right? Okay, so Jerry, first, what are the type of assets that you can put in a trust? So, of course, um, you know, homes, property, trademarks. What about trademarks? Um, trademarks you would assign to the trust. Okay. Licenses. Um, licenses. Uh, it depends on the license. Um, you know, if it's a license associated with your LLC somehow, then that would be subsumed in the LLC. Um, but you know, in terms of, I'll just run through the assets. Yeah. Like most people, yeah, they've got a house. All right. So, you have to actually file a deed in most places, most states, it's called a quit claim deed, Q-U-I-T, not quick, quit claim deed. And you're just transferring the name from your individual names to the name of the trust. And once that deed is filed in the name of the trust, then your home is in the trust. Same thing for any other piece of you know, real property, land or other houses. Um, if you've got brokerage accounts, best thing to do with those is to name the trust as the primary beneficiary of those accounts. So at death, that money will flow through the trust according to your plan, whatever it is. Retirement accounts. Again, you name the trust as the beneficiary of those retirement accounts. You don't retitle a, a retirement account in the name of the trust. If you do, that's considered to be a taxable event and they'll cash out all your money and you'll have to pay all your taxes at one time. And you definitely don't want to do that with a retirement account. So you name the trust as the primary beneficiary of that account. Your accounts at the bank, um, most of the time, you'll just name the trust as the primary beneficiary of those accounts. It's a good idea to go ahead during your life and open an actual trust account. Like so, if this is the Jerry Taylor Living Trust, then you open a bank account in that name. And have some money in there all the time during your life. And the reason that I suggest that is because if I, were, if I had that and I died, the money in that trust account would be immediately available to my successor trustee on day one. Wow. And the successor trustee is sort of like an executor of the will. It's the person who's going to step in and handle all the administrative matters of right. the estate. So whatever's in that trust account is immediately available to pay bills. Everything else, you know, all the other accounts, they're going to make it to the trust account eventually, but it's going to take a little bit of time. It's not going to be available on day one. And it's day um, one where you're trying to figure out how to pay for everything. 
Yeah, and it, you know, I mean, when when you die, the bills don't stop. They they um they they still have to be paid. <laughs> That's what, right. So you might as well live your life. You know, take bold chances because the bills that keep you up at night are still going to be there even when you're not here, right? Okay. Yep. So this is the epiphany I had. So say I have a business and I create a software that I sell to other businesses, right? So that license agreement that I create or the license that I create, I can assign the license somehow to my trust. You can. It's the, a license in that situation would probably be owned by your LLC or by your business entity, whatever it is. And that would be controlled by assigning your LLC to the trust, but you can assign an individual standalone license like that to the trust. Okay. So this is what I was thinking about, you know, like we all have, do you have the latest iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's a license agreement, right? And so when we, Oh, you want to buy the phone? Sure. And we're, you know, paying the phone off. We're paying the license. Who owns the license, I'm, you know, for Apple, I'm not saying, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we're paying the license. Who owns the license? Um, I'm not sure how that exactly is written up. Probably Apple until you pay it off. Apple, right? But who yeah. benefits from the license that Apple has created? Is it the family, the families that own Apple? And the money that we're paying to get these phones, all those things, is the profit being distributed to the family that owns the license agreement? Well, it's being distributed to the stock, to the shareholders. To the shareholders. Yeah. And if I own a certain amount of shares, those shares will be distributed throughout my trust if I have one. Yeah. If you own shares, I mean, if you own, you know, shares of stock, whatever it is, you can either um, put that individual stock into the trust, or if it's with a brokerage account, you name your trust as the beneficiary to that brokerage account. So my whole point when I was thinking about all the license agreements, you know, it's like, here's the license agreement. And we're like, yeah, whatever. And we sign off on it. But I'm like, I started thinking, who owns the license agreement, right? Yeah. Multiple yeah. people, they have shares, but then those shares are distributed. So by you and I purchasing the latest iPhone, we are funding someone else's trust, right? Yeah, yeah. In, in a fashion, yes. What's <laughs> <laughs> it? Cable, all of it. So my whole point is while we fund everyone else's trust, why don't we start funding our own, right? Definitely. Which is why I was so excited <laughs> for today's show. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. We're consumers. We consume. But it's time that we really, you know, think about our children, our children's children. And we need to, and for me, I feel like when you're starting a business, maybe we should think about assets and what type of assets we can create within the business to help the world be a better place to make things easier so that our kids benefit from the things and the assets we create. What do you yeah, think? About that? No doubt. Structure is 
critical. Uh, and it is something you need to think about on day one. If you're, if you're getting into some type of business, creating a business, developing a business, you've got to think about the structure that that's not an afterthought type of thing. That's like, you know, the very, very top of your to-do list is think about how you want to structure all this um, so that it will meet your needs in the future. And that's the thing that most people don't think about. So um, I just want everyone who's watching this um, to think about the structure. See, this is, this is, I'm just, I'm so excited to talk about trust um, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, the light bulb went off. Um, when we're, when we're starting businesses, we have to really become a part of this wealth transfer and think about the structure. Don't just open up a cupcake shop because you like buttercream and you want free cupcakes. You know, like you want to eat it behind the desk when people leave. Think about the structure. Can you create your own formula? <laughs> can, you think, can you create your own type of something and sell to others? And then what ways can you just like fund your trust? That's basically... Um, my whole point, but we have like two minutes, maybe less. Thank you so much for hanging around. I really want to hear this, but we have a few minutes. Please drop your questions really quick. And then Jerry, what's one thing you would like to leave us with that we didn't talk about that you think is very important for us to know when it comes to building wealth, building generational wealth and structure trust? What's one thing that you would want us to really think about and know? Yeah, well, just from a very basic standpoint is, um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter who you are. It, it would behoove you to go talk to somebody like me, not necessarily me, but somebody like me that specializes in this area that can analyze your fact situation because every single family is different. Everybody is different. Everybody's got different circumstances, different kids different amounts of money, different relatives, and all that is taken into account in creating these types of plans. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a cookie cutter thing. So if you're married, you've bought a house, you've got a kid, go talk to somebody like me, at least to get an understanding of what your options are. Yes. And don't listen. I love chat GPT. I love AI. Please don't create your own trust using no, chat do because it's not going to end well. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Literally, it's not going to end well. And no. that's why I wanted to bring Jerry on. He is a lawyer. He is someone who has done this for over 30 years. And I want to bring sources of knowledge. And this is a source of true knowledge. Don't buy a template. Don't purchase a coupon from someone on Instagram. Oh, I make... No, you're going to want, I don't even want to understand what's going to happen if someone actually read the trust that you created with ChatGPT. So use <laughs> actual resources that specialize in this because this is not something you want to play around with, right? And exactly. how, people, how can people like find, find you, work with you? Like what, how can they contact you? Um, they can email me, jerry at jerrytaylorlaw.com. Um, they can call 251-517-7507, or they can DM me through one of the social media platforms. Wow. I'm just looking for 
final questions, final questions. Oh, but for me, I feel like this people are like in the chat um talking bad about their kids now. Like forget my kids. I've said just enough to totally confuse everybody, probably. You know, this is no, no, no. This, <laughs> this was amazing. This, this is not even the tip of the iceberg. There's a part two. Oh my gosh, yeah. Part two and a three and a four and a five and a six and a seven and an eight and a nine. It's no, this this area of the law goes on and on and on and on. Wow. Listen, I appreciate you so much. Um, this has been very helpful. Um, I hope you all watch this replay and share it, maybe not with your kids, <laughs> but share it with others. Um this is a wealth of knowledge, no pun intended. The whole, I don't generational skip trust. Like first, I've never heard of that. Um, so this is very helpful. And I feel like in today's economy, it's very important to receive information like this so we can build strong, no fagazi structured businesses. Like let's really do it the right way. So I appreciate you so much, Jerry. And listen, you might have to come back for two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Please follow him, Jerry Taylor Law. Follow me, Kika. I am. I appreciate all of you too. And we're gonna do this every Thursday. We just changed the time, seven thirty p.m. Um, I'm going to continue this conversation on Instagram, like I always do, uh, Jerry. I don't know if you follow me, Jerry. I don't think you follow me. I don't. Well, I'll, I'll take care of that when we get off of this call. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a snapshot of this, the screen, and then smile. <laughs> and I'm going to post this on Instagram so we can continue the conversation in the chat. And if you have, um, if you need to figure out how to find Jerry, you can ask there. He'll see it too. Um, so thank you so much. Of course. Next time, everyone. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. You're so welcome. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.